It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. The holiday is fast approaching. And we've brought back Diana Butler-Bass to discuss the politics of Thanksgiving and gratitude. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. episode of Pantsuit Politics. We are returning from our countrywide travels. We cannot thank Beth and Sarah enough for our presentation at the NCTE, National Conference of Teachers of English. We had such a wonderful time there. And we also have to send a huge thank you to Jackie and the Gettysburg Area Recreational Authorities for a fantastic live event on Saturday night. We had people come from all over and it was just an incredible conversation we look forward to sharing with you later this week. 
Today, we are going to talk about a little bit of news. Specifically, I know everybody is waiting to hear what Sarah thinks about Nancy Pelosi. So you're going to get that today. We're going to talk a little bit about Theresa May and Brexit, do our gratitude moment, and then we are going to turn to gratitude and the politics of gratitude with a gratitude expert, Diana Butler-Bass, and we'll end, as always, with what's on our mind outside of politics. I love it when people are anxious for my uh, my thoughts on something. I don't know if I have any revolutionary thoughts about Nancy Pelosi, I'll be honest. I did really love Alexander Petrie's take in the Washington Post on the Nancy Pelosi discussion. Did you get a chance to see it? I did. I, I laughed out loud several times, which is unusual for me. Oh, it's, it's so funny. It's so funny. We'll put it in the show notes. But she's basically like... You know, all her stuff is satire. So it's basically like, listen, I like women. I love I love women, just not this woman, just not Nancy Pelosi, just not any woman who's actually lived as a human being and made decisions that I could perhaps disagree with. Those women, that's a, that's a negative for me on that. And that's how I feel this conversation about Nancy Pelosi is going. It feels like, well, I mean, I really think it's important to have a female leader or to have a really strong leader generally. Just not just not Nancy, just not Nancy Pelosi. And to that, I answer, wonderful. Who else do you have in mind? Is there somebody else who stepped up to lead the Democratic Party or to raise money on the level that Nancy Pelosi is capable of raising money or is capable of pushing the Affordable Care Act through a very contentious congressional sessions and protecting it? Like, I'm happy to talk about what we want the future of leadership in the Democratic Party to look like. Talk about it all day long. It's one of my favorite topics. But unless you have somebody else in mind, I don't understand why we're having this conversation. And I do think the media is really into this idea of like, we have all these new female representatives and we're fighting over Nancy Pelosi, the female leader. I think that there's a lot of that angle in this that really makes me angry. I agree. I think something I said on Patreon is kind of my position about this, you know. Nancy Pelosi does not represent my political philosophy, but I think the reason that she's so demonized by Republicans is because she's very effective. Mm -hmm. And she is effective in the way that Mitch McConnell is effective. She Mm -hmm. will just get it done. And I think that there are some very broken things about the Senate as a result of Mitch McConnell. And I think some of what Nancy Pelosi did around the Affordable Care Act's passage also really broke that process. I also, though, don't see the Republicans changing course And it is surprising to me that Democrats are uh, pushing for someone who who can be a counterweight to Mitch McConnell to not sit in that seat. I want a strong leader for the party. And I don't think you can make an argument against the fact that Nancy Pelosi is a strong leader. She keeps people in line. She gets the job done. She does the fundraising that's necessary to be the leader. I don't really have a problem with her priorities, and I'm not really sure I understand other people's problems. I guess it's just that she's not far enough left and people want to move the party further to the left. And I get that. That's fine. But I don't think that, you know, putting a far left progressive at the head of the party is going to do us any favors either. I mean, it's a it's a big tent. you got to make room for everybody. I think the question is, do people want actual governance to happen? You could install a very far left leader in the House and then have the House pass all kinds of legislation that goes on to die in the Senate. Yeah. I think with Nancy Pelosi, there is a shot at passing some laws. I think there's a real shot at infrastructure, Mm -hmm. particularly after the midterm elections. That seems to me to be something that would be a win for both parties. Now, are we allowed to have wins for both parties in this climate? 
I'm not sure that that's what everybody wants, and maybe that's the problem. Right. I think that is it. I think that's it. And that makes me so sad because I want to be, as Democrats, I don't want us to just say we care about the right things and we fight for the right things. I want to be able to say we accomplish the right things. We make changes that really affect your life, like the Affordable Care Act. And listen, you got to break a few eggs to make a cake. And I don't know. I have no problem. I'm a listen, I'm a hardcore pragmatic Democrat, so I have no problem with Nancy Pelosi. I have no problem with angering parts of the Democratic Party because I don't think we're moving forward if some people aren't happy with the direction. I mean, if we're not if we're just staying in the same spot, that might make the most people happy, but I don't want to do that. I want to move in a direction. I don't want to move the country in a direction. And inevitably that's going to make some people angry. One of the other stories that came out this week that Sarah shared on our social media pages was a story about how few women are in Congress on the Republican side of the aisle. And that connects for me to this story in this way. I think any time there is such a frenzy to take down a woman in a position like this, lots of other women think, see, what is the point? Mm-hmm. It is not a good thing for the country that we have fewer Republican women in Congress than we've had at any point since 1994 now. That's not a good thing for the party. And I think that the treatment of Nancy Pelosi absolutely influences women of all political philosophies in thinking through their own future and ambitions. And what Alexander Petrie does so well in her piece is say, it's not just Nancy Pelosi. You know, Mm -hmm. she's writing in this voice of sort of um, friend-to-women guy. She says... And it's not that I don't like Kamala Harris or Kirsten Gillibrand or Elizabeth Warren, but there are distinct problems with all three of them. (laughs) And it's just that's that's how it goes for women in leadership. Right. And if we want more women in leadership overall, I think we could put a lot of that down. This raised a lot of the same issues with another story regarding females in leadership happening across the pond in the U.K., We have new developments with Brexit. Theresa May has submitted a 585-page draft withdrawal agreement. So they sort of have a a handshake with the EU on what the withdrawal from the European Union is going to look like for Britain. And I'm not going to get into the complexities of this agreement, but what I found so fascinating is you have people, the Brexiters in particular, are angry with the specifics of the withdrawal. But again, in much like the Nancy Pelosi situation, it's like, yeah, but which one of you bozos is going to step up and lead? Because none of them want the job either. I felt such sympathy for Theresa May when I was listening to a reporter on NPR say, like, they don't quite have the votes. And even if they do, the problem is nobody else wants the job. So this poor woman is struggling through with really, really difficult tasks. And all people can do is complain about every single detail of what she's trying to accomplish, as if, again, there's a way to make everybody happy. Of course there isn't. Of course there's not a Brexit agreement that will make the EU and the Brexiters happy. Well, and even the Brexiters as a group, Mm -hmm. because there were so many different motivations for wanting to do that and so many people who wanted to do it but then regretted it but also don't want to revisit the decision because that would mean being – I mean, there there is a complex set of interests surrounding this. And switching leaders in the middle of a process like this, to me, seems to be the worst decision anybody could make. Well, I don't think they're going to be able to, because, again, nobody else is going to step up. 
Let's bring the heat down a little bit and move into the gratitude section of our show where we talk about what we're thankful for in the country this week. And we have a shared one because it's such an important issue to, to both of us. And we're so excited to see some movement. And that is that the president has signaled he will support criminal justice reform that many people in Congress have been working for decades. And again, this is maybe a silver lining of Jefferson Beauregard session getting out of the way. Yeah, my understanding is that Sessions had been a real obstacle on this issue and that some doors are opening up. Now, you have some people who are digging in about this and not being supportive. But for the most part, I think that enough people will coalesce around these ideas that it will get done. That does not solve the problem we have with incarceration in the United States because so many more people are sitting in state prison than federal prison. But if the federal government could make real movement on this issue... I I hope that that could break loose some opportunities in states to do the same as well. And to have Republican leadership on this to, is just, for me, it's the first act from this administration that I have seen that is really consistent with valuing liberty. And so I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I think that and the success of the ballot initiative in Florida opening up voting rights to nonviolent felons. Just, I feel like I've seen movement across the board on this issue, bipartisan movement, and it's so encouraging and I'm so grateful for it. It is encouraging and to kind of transition into Thanksgiving mode a little bit. This is so important to me because I think we would be a healthier country if we were a country that for, embraced forgiveness more mm-hmm. and that embraced moving on. And not that we don't impose accountability, but that we impose accountability commensurate with the act. And then we can move on and we don't sentence people to a lifetime of consequence over one mistake or even a series of mistakes. And so um, I I really appreciate the president's leadership on this. I'm going to go as far as saying I really appreciate Jared Kushner's leadership on this. I'm not there yet. Not there. There are a whole host of people who've been working very hard on this for a very long time, and I don't have to love everything about every one of those people to say thank you for doing this because I do think this is the right thing to do. Next up, we're going to continue our discussion of gratitude and Thanksgiving with Diana Butler-Bass. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? 
Dipsy's Got You, dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second-chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. We are so grateful to be back with Diana Butler Bass, author of Grateful, The Transformative Power of Giving Thanks. On this Tuesday before Thanksgiving, Diana has been traveling around the country really making a pitch for a new way to think about Thanksgiving and how it can help everyone in our country move from anger to really anything but anger, I think we take at this point. Welcome to the show, Diana. Hey, it's good to be back. I I just love what you two do, and I'm grateful to be in conversation with you. Oh, we're so glad to be here with you. So I read from your email list this morning, Make America Grateful Again. Oh, I love that. And I would love to hear, how is it being received as you talk about Thanksgiving and gratitude in a country that is not in the mood for that? Well, what's interesting, my book, Grateful, came out in April this past year. And I found that in the spring and the early summer, people did not want to talk about gratitude. I literally had some of the worst experiences presenting that I've ever had in my life. I've had people, I I had people walk out on me. I had people spit at me. What? I I know. I had people yell at me. Um, And this came from, interestingly enough, I mean, I think this will be fascinating for your, your audience. It came from both sides, as would be expected. Uh, conservatives always are angry at me, you know, (laughs) they, they, so, you know, that's my, my political stands are pretty, pretty public. And so everything I said that 
was about gratitude got interpreted by, you know, pretty hard right conservatives as being an attack, which it wasn't. But it taught me that right now you could read the phone book and people would mm-hmm. interpret it as political. So that was really hard. But the other piece that was hard is being in rooms with progressives. And I will never forget this one time when I was trying to talk about how gratitude as a public practice could heal democracy. And a woman got up and started yelling at me. And she said, how can you be grateful because there are children in cages at the border? And she just didn't want to have anything to do with it. And she said, you know, anger is what's going to get us through this. Don't tell me not to be angry. I've never told people you know, what to feel. That's not who I am at all. I have talked about toxicity and emotions, you know, that fear is a toxic emotion. We can't sustain it over time and be healthy as individuals or or a community. But, you know, if you're going to be angry about something, righteous anger is just fine. But I was talking about gratitude and how gratitude helps us get beyond even that. And there were a lot of progressives who didn't want to hear that. So that was the spring and the summer. But what I what I have discovered is this fall, um, despite all the energy that went into the elections, uh, people were more open to a conversation about gratitude. And my sense was, uh, finally, people are really tired and are hoping to find a, a new way uh, to be together. And they really are beginning to be quite eager to talk about other things, especially things that might heal, heal our hearts and heal our families. Well, you know, my therapist always says that anger is a, is a cover emotion. You feel angry because you feel something else. You're sad or you're frustrated or you're afraid. And I think that's true in the country. And I, what I love about your book and what I love about what you're offering is that if you can start to move forward, even a millimeter towards gratitude. And sometimes I think the first step of gratitude is nothing more than recognition, just awareness. Just take a minute and look at the present. Instead of being anxiety-ridden about the future or devastated about the past, What's happening right now? Is there anything that you can recognize right in the present moment to be grateful for? You know, so many of those emotions, I think the anger is covering, covering up is either a, a regret about the past or a fear about the future. And gratitude is such a good entry point into the moment right now. And I think that's why I really love what you say about Thanksgiving. And I think that's sort of the appeal about Thanksgiving is it is a very, because it centers around one meal and because it is less a an entire season, there's not Advent, there's not all these other events surrounding it, it can be a really present moment, mindful moment and event. And so I love that you're really focusing on Thanksgiving and what it can offer to American culture right now. I actually have always loved Thanksgiving. And in, over the years, I've been increasingly, you know, sad that it's gotten lost in our cultural holiday calendar, you know, especially as this holiday that we never had before black Friday got basically invented from nothing. And, you know, that has really leached into uh, Thanksgiving and, you know, 
poor people or people who are business owners who want to make profit that day, you know, rightfully so, you know, if you if people are going to shop on Thanksgiving, you want to have your stores open so you can make a little extra money. You can have money for Christmas or whatever it is. So I, I kind of get it from one angle. Um, but from the other angle, it just seems so terrible that people can't have an entire day off, you know, can't spend the whole day with their families and, and have that kind of midweek Sabbath. And, and Thanksgiving to me is so unique. What I didn't know before I wrote the book is there are only 10 countries in the whole world that celebrate Thanksgiving. I think that we may have sort of invented it and it kind of spread out from us. Uh, the Canadians celebrate it as well. The Japanese, I believe the Germans have a Thanksgiving. So it's a lot of countries that were influenced by kind of American ideals post-World War II. But that means that you know, sort of unique among nations, we invented this day um, as a day to recognize the abundance of the land that we live live on, um, that we hold this amazing story, which is mostly mythology, but nevertheless is is really kind of a beautiful story, that people of different cultures can sit at the same table and share a meal together. That's what the original Thanksgiving story, the deepest beauty of it is that, that we can be grateful for the gifts of our lives. And we can do that at a feast together. It's It's really lovely. And it's quite special. And to not ignore it, you know, not rush past it to go Christmas shopping. Also, to one of the things we need to do with it as well is to address the the mythology piece, you know, and how how Thanksgiving was not true in the way that we present it, and that there really is difficulty around Thanksgiving when we start talking about Native Americans. But I think that if we begin to think about Thanksgiving as a as a real learning day to understand native cultures and, and some of the real problems created by white colonizing, you know, we could reclaim it. Um, and it, it could be quite beautiful to remember what this is all about and to really have a, a holiday that celebrates abundance because we so easily forget that we act out of scarcity and not abundance. And Thanksgiving reminds us of abundance. I feel like you just modeled something that would be very valuable at all of our Thanksgiving tables, especially as we start to think about how it's difficult to avoid political discussion. And the two of us certainly would encourage people to have that political discussion. We think it's important to do in our families. But but I love how you just said, here is what is good and beautiful about America's contributions around Thanksgiving in the world. And here is what is problematic. And those can both exist together. There's something for everyone here. And it seems to me that that's such a good entry point for advising people on how to have these conversations at their tables. Because if you lead with Thanksgiving is a testament to white colonialism you're going to lose some folks, right? <laughs> and if you and if you don't address that, you're going to lose some folks and you're going to miss something important. So for our listeners who are interested in having a, a deeper discussion at their tables about what we should be thinking about as we gather here, how would you suggest beginning that conversation about the mythology of Thanksgiving? I saw something online that I found to be kind of fascinating just a couple of days ago, and it was a resource put out 
by, I believe, some Native American women. And it was called Decolonizing Thanksgiving. As a writer, I hate some of the language that shows up around these kinds of activities. Like uh, decolonizing to me is not a very pretty word, um, but I, I get what they were going for. And, it, and I looked at it, you know, even though I was sort of turned off by the title, I looked at it and it was it was beautiful. What they were doing is they had a whole list of amazing resources and activities that teachers and families could engage, particularly with children, to understand uh, parts of Native culture on the terms that Native peoples would like white people to understand their culture. You know, it, it did everything from talking about the importance of things like sweetgrass and sage and, um, you know, sharing some stories about how Native people understood uh, feasting and table fellowship and all these kinds of aspects of, of Native life. And so so those kinds of resources, I'd say, you know, look for those, you know, look for what um, local tribal peoples in your community, how they celebrate Thanksgiving, how they've incorporated aspects, say, if a local tribe has largely become Christian at this point, if there's a, a church that is mostly a native church, you know, see what they do to celebrate Thanksgiving. Just use it as a, a great learning opportunity. And I, I think that there's always room, you know, in holidays. That's one of the great things about holidays. Lots of people are in, you know, sort of interreligious marriages right now. And uh, my neighbor, I have neighbors on every side of me that are Christian Jewish families. And it's so interesting to see them celebrate Christmas and Hanukkah together. And their kids are fluent in both holidays. And so in that same way, you know, all Americans can become fluent in other cultural aspects of holidays. And our children like it. You know, it's easy. It's actually easy to learn. So. So I, those are some of the ways that I think about it. But those resources are out there. And I'm sure that, that you two kind of know about uh, some of those as well and probably could share them at the end of the program with your listeners. I think that the focus on Thanksgiving as a sort of center point for the conversation is wonderful. But I think the reality is also that other more incendiary topics will most likely come to many, many people's tables as we sit down and try to exercise gratitude with each other. How do you suggest people deal with the inevitable Kavanaugh conversation or Me Too conversation or Trump conversation or whatever the case may be when it when it gets a little a little hotter? How do we navigate that? I think that people should come to Thanksgiving this year and just expect that their relatives are going to not behave themselves because people are full of all kinds of political anxiety right now about what is going on and what has gone on. So, so one of the things that I'm suggesting to friends, because this has been the question, the one question that has been most often asked of me in the last year is what am I going to do about Thanksgiving dinner? So I've thought about it quite a bit. The first thing is, is be prepared and think about whether you're going to be the host or a guest. And whether you're the host or whether you're the guest it makes a huge difference about how you prepare for Thanksgiving. If you're the host, you have a lot of power 
in this situation to, in effect, set the table. So in the same way, the host thinks about, you know, what china am I going to use? Uh, what's the menu going to be? What time are we going to eat? What's the, you know, sort of schedule for food? All of that stuff that a host thinks about. The host also this year has to think about how can I set the table so that all of my guests feel safe and feel valued. And that is really the job of a person who is in charge of this meal, making sure get guests are safe and valued. In, in thinking through that, there are some funny approaches you could take. I've suggested to people that they create a kind of rules for the Thanksgiving dinner and uh, have a list at each plate. Uh, things like uh, do not fight over light versus dark meat. <laughs> no arguments over jellied versus whole berry cranberry sauce. You know, and so, you know, have sort of funny rules um, but then throw in some serious ones, you know, as well, it's just as a reminder uh, to people how they're supposed to behave at a family feast. And, and, you know, like I said, a lot of people right now have forgotten how to behave because actually media has taught people how to be mean. And so it's up to a host to remind people how to be civil and gracious and kind and not throw food. Another thing hosts can do is think in advance of conversation starters. One of the conversation starters that I suspect could work really well this Thanksgiving is drawing people's attention to a Thanksgiving in the past that was meaningful to everybody. And so asking people for a memory of their favorite Thanksgiving. And if you get people to kind of go back towards a time when there might have been more agreement in the family or when grandma was alive or the time that aunt so-and-so uh, burned a turkey and they were left without any main dish for the Thanksgiving dinner and they all had to eat hamburgers. You know, if you can remind people of, of something like that, it draws people together around a shared memory and gives them a longer picture of the family so that whatever's going on now gets put in perspective of that longer story. And I think that could be a really valuable approach. And then finally, you know, I think it's really incumbent upon hosts to have ready at their own mind, a story about how much they appreciate uh, the other, the relatives at the table who are now acting terrible. And so if you're a Democrat, for example, think about, what you really appreciate about Republicans and something you have learned in the past from a Republican relative that made you think about a political or social issue with more depth, because we all have those stories. And if, and the same is true if you're a Republican, think about what you really appreciate from your Democratic relatives. And you're going to have to be the person who puts that kind of story on the table because people won't do it naturally. But if you do it, it's important for a host to that will change the environment and hosts hosts can do that. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. 
They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I love those strategies as you're talking. I'm picturing like a tablecloth that just says, this is a table. It is not Twitter. It is not a <laughs> CNN panel. It is a table. This, you know, let's think about what we do at a table. I think one of the struggles, and as especially um, I was listening to your comments about progressives reacting poorly to some of your message and conservatives reacting poorly, 
I feel on the progressive side of the the spectrum, there is a sense if we talk about gratitude, that that means complacency or acceptance Uh of the status quo. That's right. Everything is too urgent for us to have a moment like that. And on the conservative side, I think when you talk about gratitude as healing, we automatically read criticism in and we say, you know, no one's getting any credit for the things that have been good. And I'm wondering how we can help each other understand that gratitude, we're not saying that you feel gratitude exclusively and that it doesn't mean that we put everything down um, and we can't still have other emotions. Like how can gratitude be a piece of your life and maybe the foundation on which other things are built, but not suggesting that anyone stop participating? Problem is, is that gratitude, like so much else in American life, has been turned into a zero-sum game. Uh-huh. And so if you're grateful for something, then I can't be. Or if I'm grateful for something, it means clearly that I've won and you've lost. And gratitude is not a competition. And that's really how we treat it. If you think about gratitude in relationship to politics, what could happen at Thanksgiving is, you know, in 2016, all your Republican relatives were really happy and they kind of ground it in the face, you know, of the Democrats who came to dinner that year. And there legitimately is a study showing how people spent less time over Thanksgiving in 2016, if they had to eat with members of their family who were from the opposite political party. And so so that is a real scholarly academic study that shows that there were fights, essentially, over Thanksgiving dinner and that people were using their sense of gratitude for winning as a cudgel against their own relatives. And so so this year it could be the opposite, depending upon where you live. You know, if the with so many Democrats winning. And um, frankly, I don't want to go to Thanksgiving dinner with anybody in Florida right now. Um, (laughs) I mean, what a mess that's going to be. It's already Florida. That shows that we have a really flawed understanding of gratitude. That gratitude is not my side wins and your side loses. Mm -hmm. But instead, gratitude, especially political gratitude, needs to be about the bigger capacities of what it means to be an American. Things like feeling grateful that, I mean, despite it all, oh my gosh, I mean, it's been horrible in some ways to live in these last two years, but have you ever seen a time when there have been more people actively and passionately engaged in politics who really care about putting their voice in the public square and convincing their fellow and sister citizens that there's a better way to be American. Uh I mean, that is really something to be grateful for. Uh, We might not all agree. It might get really ugly and chaotic and noisy, and we could even be tired of it. But the truth of it is, is more people now are using their voices in more ways to try to engage uh, processes and policies for the future of what it will mean to be American. And that is wonderful. I love that. I think that's a beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much for coming on here and encouraging us to always, always see the gratitude in the moment. We love the book. If you have not read Grateful, it would be 
the most perfect exercise on the if you're flying on the way to Thanksgiving or on the way to see your family or on the way home. So Diana Butler Bass, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, I wish everyone a very happy Thanksgiving. And may this be the beginning of resetting the American Thanksgiving table for the future. We can have more chairs and we can share more food because there's always enough for everyone. Sarah, what's on your mind outside of politics? Oh, I'm just so happy to be home. It was fun traveling. We ate a lot of really great food. We also went to see a movie. I'm very excited about seeing movies when I travel. I decided we should go see Widows. It was not best cup of tea. To put it mildly, <laughs> I did not enjoy Widows. <laughs> I really liked it. It is by Steve McQueen, the director of... 12 Years a Slave, Shameless Hunger, and it was co-screenwritten with Gillian Flynn, who I love, and blockbuster performance by Viola Davis, and I just really thought it was interesting and fresh in a way heist movies usually aren't, and I loved the strong portrayal of female characters, interesting female characters who aren't all good or all bad. I just, I really liked it. I really, really enjoyed it. Beth did not. I did not enjoy it. Um, it was much darker than I was mentally prepared for. I love a heist movie. I don't need to mess with that formula. I think it works beautifully. And I have a lot of fun in heist movies. And so I was kind of sad that there was never a moment that was like, hooray, ladies, we're going to go do this now. Um, instead, it was, it was very dark. And it was very kind of depressing to me to think about some of the realities, especially around Chicago politics. Mm -hmm. It was funny because it really centers on this alderman's race. And it and my sister was just telling me about the intense alderman race in her neighborhood. And I was thinking, gosh, I hope it's not this bleak in my sister's <laughs> neighborhood. <laughs> Good grief. Um, it just to me, it was the, the characters that I was most interested in learning more about, I feel like I didn't learn more about. I felt like some of the stories that I thought were really interesting threads didn't get followed because it had to stay with this kind of complex and dark, sinister narrative. So it it is not a movie that I would choose to see again, for sure. So now we're back home and we're getting into Thanksgiving mode as everybody else is across the country. Both and I are both hosting Thanksgiving with our families. This is my first time hosting in my new house. I'm really, really excited. Yes, I spent some time with my computer and my magazines and I pulled out all my recipes. I have a plan now. I have the kind of here's what I'm going to do three days out, two days out kind of plan. And I am really looking forward to it. I'll put all my recipes in our email this week in case you would like to borrow from my menu. We hope all of you have a fantastic holiday with your family, and we just wanted to say that we are so incredibly thankful for the community that has been built around Pantsuit Politics. Every email, every message, every time you listen is such a blessing to us, and we wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. And thanks for making us sound better and smarter, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. 
which means we could not live without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you so much, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help make the show better. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Learn more about our live events that we're involved in and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with us and members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.